With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today, now firmly in year two of law school. Kurt, what do they call you when you're year two? Is it 2L, right? Yep, 2L. Year two of law school. My co-host Curtis, he's back with us today. And, well, guys, we now have a 2020 schedule to break down, and that's exactly what we're going to do today here on the show. As I'm sure most of you, if not all of you out there listening, saw the, the official 2020 schedule release was broadcast last night on the SEC Network. And, well, it's... Interesting. It's certainly like when you hear 10 SEC games, that sounds great in theory. Then you look at the actual schedule, you're like, oh, wow, this might not be all that easy. But we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. But first, I want to talk about something else real quick at the top here, because that wasn't the only news that hit yesterday. So we also gained our 13th commitment of the 2021 recruiting class as Javon Bullard, a three-star cornerback from the Milledgeville area, pulled the trigger and committed to the G last night. I did mention him a little bit earlier in the week as a name to watch, and sure enough, he pulled the trigger last night to become the newest member of this 2021 recruiting class. So, Kurt, Bullard is only a three-star prospect, and he's ranked all the way down at number 795th nationally. So what's the deal here? Is this the case of a guy who has been maybe underrated by the recruiting services? Is this a guy Kirby and and DB coach Charlton Warren kind of see as a raw kid with some upside, or – is it is it one of these guys that it's kind of a stretch to say he was worth a committable offer? To me, what I've noticed about him is he doesn't seem to be a big camp guy. I mean, we've already had, you know, a lot less camps overall this year with COVID and everything. So, I mean, there haven't been a big change in the rankings. But even then, before then, he wasn't a big camp guy. But let's be honest, when it comes to DB recruits right now, I'm not really going to doubt Kirby when it comes to three stars. I mean, he may be a stretch. And I think that realistically, he is a stretch in all honesty. The thing that people have to remember is that the next year's class is a ridiculously talented DB class. So as you're seeing this year with offensive line and some of these other positions, it is hard to take all these kids back to back. So with it being such a deep class next year in the DB class, I don't think you can go out there and sign multiple five stars and high guys at the same time and still expect to get the big horses you expect next year. Yeah, I think that's fair to say you need some class separation. But when I look at our roster, like we're pretty stacked right now. 
for the most part at DB. We're kind of thin at safety with, with the depth there. I, I like the guys who have the top of the, of, of the depth chart, but the depth there is somewhat concerning. Cornerback, I feel really good about our depth right now this year. But a lot of those guys are going to be gone next year. I think we're going to be a little bit thin, especially thin on experience going into the 2021 season. So it'd be nice to get some guys that can really play that. Well, and I don't think we're done either. I mean, Kirby's has built these classes since he started. He usually has like a lot of guys at the top that are studs, but then we'll have some guys thrown in at the end that, you know, may be, well, I mean, think of Eric Stokes. We thought that was a wasted scholarship when we took his commitment that, oh, we missed on these guys and we just pretty much wasted a scholarship giving it to him. And in the end, this guy for the last couple of years, he's been our DeAndre Baker, like our most consistent um, DB realistically. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you're right. I totally don't think we're done. I think Nylon Green's a guy to watch out for. Is a highly rated guy that we're, that we're very much in the thick of things for. Dejon Warren, the number one and number two JUCO uh, prospect in the country, depending on what recruiting service you're looking at. He's another cornerback that we are firmly in the thick of things for right now. So there's some other names out there that we are still very much in the running for. But uh, look, Buller's a guy that honestly there's not really a ton of tape of him playing cornerback and you're right he's he hasn't really done a lot of camps I think that contributes to where his ranking is right now because you turn on the tape look even though I don't see him play cornerback a ton on the tape and actually going out there and covering guys you can tell just by the athlete that he is that he's better than like like around the 800 range like he's a better prospect than that I'm not saying he should be a top 100 guy but he's better than than where he's ranked right now and and, and look it's okay because that's where these these guys are that do the rankings, they see a lot of these prospects at camps. If you don't go to camps, especially when, you, when you're like a, a, a freshman and sophomore rising junior, if you don't go to those camps, you oftentimes aren't on the radar unless you're just one of those guys that, that blows people away in games. And I think Bullard – Well, and he's not one of those guys that goes to a big school either. Milledgeville's not really known for football. Um, like we're Metro Atlanta, if you're on a powerhouse school, you're good to get seen, and that's not really his case. Absolutely, yeah. Playing, uh, I think it's Baldwin High School in the Milledgeville area. So you're you're absolutely right about that. But when I watch him play, like there's a lot of him playing wide receiver, returning kicks, and what little tape there is of him actually playing DB and covering guys. Uh, you don't well, you don't see much of, of the covering aspect, but the, what tape of that I found of him playing DB, it's mainly him coming up and run support, which he does very well, by the way. So I really am not confident in like giving you a, a true assessment of his skills as a cover guy from like a technique standpoint. What I can tell you is what kind of athlete that I see on tape. And, and look, I couldn't find any measurables for him other than the height and weight, but he plays with good game speed. When I watch him on tape, the guy moves really well. And what I love most about him is that he's a really fluid athlete. He changes direction really well. I think that's really important for DBs, especially when to, to be able to flip your hips and turn and run. I think he has the ability to do that. He has the raw tools to be able to do those kind of things. And I think that's indicative of the type of player that he could grow into if he's willing to do, to do the work. And we don't know that. I think Kirby and, and staff obviously do a great job of, of evaluating these guys and knowing what kind of prospect they're getting, not just from a talent standpoint, but also from a character standpoint, a work ethic, work ethic type standpoint as well. But he's six foot, about 185 pounds, according to what you, what you see out there on 247 which is decent size. He's got solid length on tape, not elite in either area, but like he's not undersized necessarily. But what you said is true, Curtis. Like at this point, I trust Kirby almost implicitly when it comes to, to DB evaluations in terms of like just finding raw athletes that like, that's the one position that he knows better than almost anyone. Oh yeah. He's a, he's a DB junkie. He played that position. He coached that position for a while now. So, and you mentioned Eric Stokes is a guy that I remember vividly when, when he, committed to us i was kind of like huh okay cool yeah I'll, I'll take it i guess he's kind of thrown in there as an afterthought but 
look at what Eric Sosa turned out to be. And to, I guess you could say to a lesser degree, DJ Daniel was a guy that – now, DJ Daniel, he was recruited, I don't want to say heavily, but there were some other SEC programs after him. He was coming to South Carolina at one point, and we were able to flip him. But he still wasn't a big-time recruit, and he did a really great job for us last year. And then J.R. Reed's another guy that everyone thought we just – he was kind of a throw-in to get D'Angelo Gibbs, his cousin. But Kirby saw something, and J.R. Reed got him from Tulsa, and we all know J.R. Reed grew into a first-team All-American. So we've seen that from Kirby Smart. So I trust him implicitly far more than I trust myself when it comes to DB evaluations. And we all have to understand, guys, the film they have to work with is more than what we see on Huddle. So, And then they get to talk to coaches and all that kind of thing. So they have a lot more information to work off of than we do. And I'm not trying to say that Bullard's, a, again, not a top 100-type guy, that he's like just so underrated. I'm not ready to say that, but – Again, I see tools. I, I don't know from a technique standpoint how advanced he is right now, but he's got some tools that, that he can grow into. I think if he comes in and does the work that Kirby and, uh, and Charlton Warren can really do a good job coaching this guy up and helping him become a contributor here in our secondary eventually. So welcome aboard, Mr. Bullard. But now it's time to get to the main event here today, and that is the 2020 conference-only schedule. As I heard they would, they completely ripped up the old schedule, and, I mean, they basically started from scratch here. They really did. They even moved the Jacksonville game. They only moved it one week, but I thought that would be kind of firm where it was with our contract with Jacksonville, but I guess that wasn't even sacred. So they ripped up everything, and it's, it's a totally new SEC conference-only schedule. So, Kurt, let's start here with the schedule. And this is kind of a weird question. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but give me one word that best describes your overall reaction to the schedule once you saw it be released? I think tricky. I like it. I like it. I, I My word would be front-loaded. All right, why are you saying tricky? Yeah, and, and that's why I think it's very front-loaded. You know, if you can make it through, especially the, the first four weeks, then outside the Florida game, it's almost smooth sailing. It 100% is. I mean, if you look at this, I think I would make the argument that the five toughest games on our schedule are all played within the first six games of the year. Now, granted, we open with Arkansas, who's probably the worst team in the entire league at Arkansas. But then after that, you're going Auburn at home, Tennessee at home, at Alabama, at Kentucky, open week, and then you got Florida. So that's, I guess, five out of six weeks if you throw in the open week where it's just like, whoa, those are the five toughest games on our schedule, in my opinion. And then it then it really, after the Florida game, it, you're right, it's smooth sailing. You got Missouri, you're at Missouri. We got Mississippi State at home at South Carolina over Thanksgiving weekend. And then we wrap it up with Vanderbilt. So I think it kind of depends on how you look at it. Kurt, do you like it being front loaded like that? Or would you like to, see, would you rather be front loaded or back loaded? I mean, I think it could go either way. I think the one thing I'm very thankful for is while we have some really tough games, especially, you know, Tennessee and Auburn. I am extremely thankful that they are uh, home games, two out of those three. It would have been a lot worse going on the road um, like we did a couple years ago where I believe we had a stretch very similar to this, and two out of the three were on the road. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with that. I think, and I think it depends on how you look at it. I think, honestly, I don't know if there's a right answer because with, with our unique situation this year, we're working a new coordinator, a new quarterback. Like You could say with our new offense, new quarterback, all that thing, we need time to kind of work out the kinks offensively and get into a rhythm. So it's not in our best interest to have a tough, you know, first five or six weeks. But I think on the flip side, you could also say how, with just generally speaking, how teams get worn down towards the end of the season, especially if you're playing a full. And SEC you have a chance schedule. to get healthy. I mean, last year, think about it, if we go into the LSU game um, healthy, I'm not saying we beat them, but just having Javon, um, uh, 
Lawrence Cager and people like that healthy would have been very nice. It would it would have helped us. More. I mean, it wouldn't hurt us anymore. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think like especially when you're playing, you're playing a ten game SEC schedule. Like you're gonna be worn down. You're you're gonna have some injuries. That's inevitable. It's gonna happen, and that could really impact you if you're playing some of your toughest games down the stretch of the end of the season. So I think you can look at it either way. I don't know if there's a right answer. I think. Man, I don't know. I, I think I might rather have – obviously, I'd rather have it spread out a little bit better, you know? I, I don't like the fact that we I mean, have yeah, all, who wouldn't? Yeah, I don't want them all in the front-loaded portion of the schedule or, or, or all in the back end. I don't like either extreme there. But if I had to pick one, I might be okay with it being more front-loaded. Because I, I think you're right. With an SEC schedule, the rigors of playing an all-SEC conference schedule, I mean, there's going to be some wear and tear. There's going to be some injuries. And that's gonna; those are gonna prop up more towards the end of the season, where then we we close it out with again. We've got Missouri, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. Obviously, the four four of the five easiest games on our schedule the last four weeks of the year. So I'm kind of okay with it. Um, I'm curious what you think about this, Kirk. Because let me just ask you about that. Like, what do you make of the Week One matchup against Arkansas? Because we were famously originally scheduled to open conference play with Bama this season. We all know that. Some people assumed it would stay that way, but obviously that's not the case. Is replacing Arkansas in week one or replacing Bama in week one with Arkansas, is that a good change for us? Oh, I think it's a tremendous change. It really gives us a, a chance to play an opponent that for the most part we should be. I mean, I would say with 99% positivity we will be. And, it, and it's a, especially a team that doesn't have a strong defense. This going to give your offense a chance to get going. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, look. I don't disagree with you necessarily, but let me play devil's advocate. Let's say you play Alabama week one. If we have to play Alabama, wouldn't week one maybe be the best time to play them because they have no tape on what we're going to do offensively whatsoever so we can completely catch their defense off guard? Yeah, but sometimes you can – you watch plenty of football games where you can have a couple of trick plays or plays at the beginning of the game where they don't know what's going on, but as time goes, they're going to figure it out. And if you're not there offensively, you will get exploited. That's fair. That's a fair way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a catch-22. Yeah, sure, we can maybe catch Bama off guard a little bit because they have no idea. I mean, I shouldn't say they have no idea, but they don't know exactly what our offense is going to look like and maybe who the quarterback's going to be and, and who what players we're going to feature, what freshman receiver might end up coming and making some big plays for us, those kind of things. But at the same time, we're still working a new, a new offense with a new quarterback, new coordinator, whole nine yards, and a lot of new receivers and new running back, a lot of new guys in the offensive line. So maybe we won't be at our best necessarily in week one, and that might negate the idea that we can maybe catch Bama off guard a little bit because they don't have any tape on us. Uh, so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm cool with it. And, look, if, if we're going to have any other game besides Alabama, I think Arkansas is the perfect team, right? Because it's – I don't want to say a glorified scrimmage because it's an SEC opponent, but we absolutely, like you said, like there's – if we lose this game, I, I will lose my junk, man. I, that's just that's the way it's going to be. So I think that's the perfect team, to, honestly, to, to open up with. So I'm I'm cool with that. So, they, yeah, they kind of – I don't want to say screwed us, but we got the short end of the draw when it came to – Games two, three, four, five, and six. But week one, I think we we lucked out there pretty well. But yeah, I'm just, I mean, trying to be as positive as possible. You knew Bama was going to be a road game, so if you're going to play those tough games, I would definitely rather have them at home um, than anywhere. Yeah, fair. Yeah, absolutely. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And look, like this is college football, Curtis. So that means they're going to be upset. So there are every single year. We know it. And when you are the more talented team, when do upsets tend to happen? Well, Usually, either right before or immediately after a game against what is perceived to be a bigger opponent, the classic trap game, right? So when you look at our schedule, Kurt, you use tricky as the word that came to mind for you when looking at our schedule. Are there any potential trap games that caught your eye when you first glanced at the schedule? I would say yes, but I think the biggest thing that stands out to me that says no trap games, um, I mean, I think you could say Kentucky maybe, especially be on the road after Alabama. But outside that, I don't think you do, because um, especially after what happened last year, South Carolina, we're not going to take anyone lightly at all. So that's the only thing that's positive. But Kentucky, to me, would be the only one I would consider naming a trap game because it's on the road, and they have a lot returning on the offensive line. Yeah, Kentucky is the absolute game that, I, that I'm looking at here. Because honestly, it's tough to say there's a trap game outside of that because all of our tough games are – concentrate together and all of and most of our weaker games except for Arkansas week one are kind of concentrated together at the end of the year so Kentucky's really the only option for a chat game but my eyes honestly when I saw the schedule released immediately went to that game I was watching on, on the SEC network as, as it was released I knew we were playing Alabama week four they already released that and they threw Kentucky on the road right after Alabama and I said oh yikes because I think Kentucky might I, I know Florida I, I would give the benefit of the doubt to Florida right now but I would not be blown away if Kentucky ended up being the second best team in the SEC East this year. It would not. No, the only me. thing that really is in my favor is, you know, we've talked all, all season that we wouldn't be shocked if we lost Alabama. So if that's the case, um, you're going in pissed off. True. If we, if we do lose to Alabama. But if you win, it is definitely a trap game. Yeah. Winning is because if you, not only is it this Kentucky fall right after Alabama, it also falls right before the bye week that leads into Florida. So basically it's sandwiched between Alabama and Florida, more or less. That is a very tricky spot to go on the road to Lexington to an extraordinarily well-coached team. Are we more talented than them? Absolutely. We should not lose Kentucky, but this is a really good, like as far as Kentucky teams go, this might be the best team that Mark Stoops has had. And I mean that guys. And I know you're saying, well, Lynn Bowden's gone. How can you possibly say that? Look, Terry Wilson's back. Joey Gatewood is going to be there competing with him. The guy that transferred in from Auburn. You've got a, a really good defense, a defense actually that was statistically better than what they were the year before with Josh Allen, which I didn't think was remotely possible. But they had like they were in the 100s in terms of the returning defensive talent coming into last year, and they were actually statistically better. A lot of those guys are coming back. They grew up didn't have, didn't have much experience last year. They are now experienced. They have a extraordinarily good offensive line, and I and I and I I'm not just one of those guys that says, that says oh yeah, I, I hear they have good offensive line. Guys, I've been breaking this team down, getting ready for this guy on the enemy show that we're going to do on them in a couple of weeks. And that offensive line is legit. 
Drake Jackson at center is as good of a center as I've seen in a while in this league. I think really highly of him, man. I mean, he's reaching guys, playing a three-tech. It's just crazy stuff. I think I mentioned on the show before, but he's really good. And this Kentucky team, they got a, a trio of running backs that can do some things. I think they're pretty good, man. And, again, we're better and we should beat them. But where it falls on the schedule, right after Alabama, right before Florida, tricky. And you're right. If we lose Alabama, then I'm maybe not nearly as worried. But you beat Alabama somehow, you find a way to win that game, you go into Kentucky, and you're looking ahead to Florida maybe, the, the I guess, two weeks down the road, that could be a, a tricky game because they are good enough. To, I always say Kentucky to me is like, if we play our best game, they're not going to beat us. But if we go in there and play below our capabilities and they play really well, absolutely they are good enough to beat us. I, I will say that right now. If we don't play well and they do play well, they are good enough to beat us. And you can't say that about everyone. Like, even Like if we play poorly against Arkansas, I don't care. if Even if they play really well, they're still probably not going to beat us. We're still probably going to find a way to win that game. Might be closer than it should be, but we're still going to find a way. Kentucky, I'm not so sure you can say that about. So that's a team in a game to really watch out for. And I'm, I'm actually concerned about that one right now. Because you're right. We knew, we knew Alabama was going to be tough whenever we play them. But Kentucky could be tricky, man. That one could be tricky. Now, I would also say, Kurt, one of the primary reasons that a lot of the experts have spent the entire offseason picking Florida over us to win the East was the fact that their schedule, I think, honestly, I think we have to admit this, it just set up better. Their schedule was easier than ours originally. But now that you look at how these schedules set up right now with the, with the conference-only schedules, do you think that's still the case right now? No, I don't. I think um... – I think it's at least even, if anything. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously we have Bama, they have LSU. They added A&M on their schedule, which was certainly toughing things up. Well, I think, think it's going to be the surprise team of the West this year. Yeah, I think A&M could be really good. I think a lot of people were looking at last year to be the, the year for A&M. I think it might actually end up being this year. They have some depth issues at receiver, but they got some talent on that defense. Kellen Mond's back. I mean, it's, it's now or never, truly, for Kellen Mond. Jimbo is in, what, year three now? So this is this is going to be a time where they can definitely take a jump forward. So I, I would say one thing, I think our schedule is still a little tougher than Florida's. And I and I say that only because, again, all of our games are – tough games are crunched together there, and that's just a brutal stretch, whereas Florida's games are a little more spread out. They, have, they, have, they do have A&M and LSU back-to-back in weeks uh, – was that week three and four? And then they have Kentucky and Tennessee to end the season – so theirs are a little bit more spread out, which I think favors them a little bit. But I, I, I do think the gap between our schedules has closed. I don't think you can just sit there and say, well, Florida's schedule is just so much easier than Georgia's right now. I do think they have a little bit of an easier path, but I don't think it's it's a major difference like maybe it was before we, we made this change to a conference-only schedule. And look, just having Alabama it, themselves makes this tougher. I mean, I know LSU is going to be good. They're good, but I think Alabama is Yeah, I'm just, I'm just thankful, though, that we realistically didn't have to add any – tougher opponents from the West. I mean, we already had Auburn and Alabama this year. Yeah, so I, I, I want to bring that up. So we, 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 you and I kind of talked about this, and there's been a lot of conversation about this over the past week or so, but I want to go back in time to two Fridays ago when the two additional cross-division opponents were originally named, right? We ended up getting Arkansas and Mississippi State, who I think you could make, and I would make this case, I think you make a pretty strong case for them being the two worst teams in the West this season, at least two of the three worst along with Ole Miss. Bama made out pretty well getting a game, again, I guess a game at Missouri and versus Kentucky. Again, I think Kentucky can be pretty good this year. LSU got at Vandy and versus Missouri, which, yes, means Missouri got Bama at home and LSU on the road. Poor Missouri. While poor Arkansas got us at home and at Florida. Now, of course, th- this got a lot of people screaming about the conference kind of favoring the top teams 
including us. But Kurt, how much stock do you put into that argument? Do you really believe the SEC favored the top teams when they add those two additional opponents? I think if anyone got favored, it was Alabama, to be honest. Because um, for the most part, most people got their next two opponents, except for Alabama and Florida. Yeah, I mean, Alabama, again, I think Kentucky's going to be a trickier game than people want to give it credit for. They get, like, if they were playing at Kentucky, I'd be like, ooh, that could be interesting. But it's Kentucky at home and then Missouri on the road. Yeah, I think that if anyone definitely got favored, it was them, which is no shock. It's in Birmingham. Um, you heard a lot of the complaining was coming from Alabama and Florida over their schedule. Yeah, and look, I, I agree with you that I, I do think that the SEC office probably tried to accommodate – teams like Bama and Florida. And, and you're right. I, I, we heard many reports that they were complaining strenuously about having to play each other. Because the, the thing is, they don't want to play each other two years in a row because they're scheduled to play next year also. But that, which doesn't really hold any water for me because there are multiple teams that have to play each other two years. In a row. Like we're playing Arkansas now two years in a row, but Bama and Florida can't yeah, play. See, and that's, that's, that's the whole thing. Like everyone else is doing it, but just because it was them is the only reason it was unfair. Yeah, and LSU, like, they just played at Vandy, and they're playing at Vandy. Now, of course, they'll take that all day long, but, like, they're playing the same Eastern Division team two years in a row, which is a, a non-permanent crossover rival there. So, like, that argument doesn't really hold any water for me. So, like, yeah, I, I do I think that they probably accommodated certain teams that are at the top of the lineup this year. Yeah, I think they probably did. But, but other than Arkansas, honestly, when I look at the schedules in totality, I really don't think there was anything too egregious – and how those cross divisional opponents played out. I mean, like I do think Arkansas got hit hard. Uh, they're playing what I think most people have in the preseason as the top three teams in the East. If you look at Georgia, Florida, and, and probably- I mean, but let's be honest, it didn't matter who Arkansas was going to play; they're going to lose. Yeah, very true. I, I do agree with that. But still, if you're an Arkansas fan, like you don't care, you don't want to hear that. Like you got, like you just want to win a game. Like give us a chance, man. Give us a fighting chance. Give us a Vanderbilt. You know. But again, when I think you look at the schedules in totality, I think honestly, and I know people don't want to hear this. I don't. Most people don't agree with me because at least what I see on social media. But I think the SEC did a pretty decent job of leveling things out. Not perfect, but a pretty decent job overall. Because if you look at us, I know people are saying, "Well, Georgia, oh my God, well Georgia, Arkansas, Mississippi State." Well, dude, we already got games at Bama and versus Auburn, so it made sense if you're trying to level things out in totality that we got two lighter opponents to go along with Bama and Auburn. And I know people are screaming that Missouri got screwed. And that was a big talking point when those, when those teams just got, got, uh, got released initially. But did they did they really get screwed? Because Missouri was already scheduled to play Arkansas and Mississippi State from the West. So then adding Bama and LSU, yeah, those are two good teams, really tough draws. But that really doesn't make their total schedule all that much more difficult than ours. Like we're playing – like us in Missouri, we're both playing Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Bama. The only difference between us and Missouri is that they have LSU while we have at Auburn, which to me, honestly, this year I don't think is a major, major difference to the point where I think there's a lot of credibility when they start screaming that, that they got screwed. I really don't. Yeah, it looks like you got screwed because you got Bama and LSU at it, but you were already playing what I think are the two weakest teams from the other division. So I don't really think Missouri got screwed all that much, which I know is not a popular idea right now, but I don't think they did. And I, I will say, I think LSU got off pretty easily. Don't you, Kurt? Like Missouri at home and at Vandy? Yeah, they did. I mean, at least they're traveling to Florida this year, but without yeah. fans, it's really a wash. Yeah, I, I'm actually really interested to see how the home field advantage, like, is, is it really even an advantage if you have only maybe 25% of your stadium in attendance? Like, I'm curious to see how that, how that plays out. But I mean, like, it doesn't really – be different if we were going to Mississippi State where they at least had the cowbells, but it's not like Arkansas had a fan base anyways that's really going to scare you. 
Um, but we're like, it, it plays in favor, say Auburn having to come here. But once again, at least we're not on the road in Jordan Hare or up yeah, in uh, Knoxville. And obviously, we have a lot and more. And when we go to Bama, it's not going to be as loud either. Yeah, so I, absolutely. It, it works both ways, that's for sure. But when you look at LSU, yeah, I mean, I think they got it pretty easy. Now, you're right. They had at Florida, but okay, you get Missouri and you get Vanderbilt. But the thing is, I think people have to realize this is let's just be real, guys. The SEC East just isn't as strong as the West, top to bottom. There are just some teams that aren't that good yeah, right really, now. I mean, you don't know how good LSU is going to be, but realistically, you have a top four of Alabama, AM, um, Georgia. I mean, um, Alabama, AM, LSU, and Auburn. Yeah, absolutely. And you look like and that's why like, I know Alabama, yes, could it have been tougher for them? Sure. But they're, I think what, what the SEC is looking at is okay, if we're coming into the season based on like preseason rankings, who are the top three teams in the SEC East? Probably Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee, right? Well, yeah. Bama already is playing Georgia and Tennessee this year. So do we want to give them four to give them all three of the top preseason teams in the SEC East? I think the answer was no. So I, I don't – I, I, so I, I do think Bama probably got off a little easy here, and they were probably accommodated almost certainly. But when you look at the East, like who else are you going to give them? If you're not, if you're not going to give them Florida, who else are you going to give them? That makes it that difficult. I think, I think Kentucky is probably the next best team to give them out of the SEC East. So I know it's not perfect, and it just it's just the way the things work is the SEC East just honestly is not quite as strong right now, top to bottom, as the SEC West. And I would say the top four teams in the East aren't as good as the top four teams in the West right now. I think Georgia and Florida are up there, but ten, after that, Tennessee and Kentucky, I, I don't see them on the same level necessarily as maybe an A&M and Auburn right now, or an LSU if you want to throw them in there in the, in the three or four spot, depending on how you want to rank and handicap the SEC West right now. So I didn't have as much of a problem with it as a lot of people did, but that's just me. Uh, all right, Kurt, before we move on here, one more question about the schedule. I know we literally got these schedules like half an hour ago. So again, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but of what you've seen so far, the, the looks you've been able to take at the different schedules for the different teams in the SEC, which team do you think got it worst with this new schedule? It's going to be hard to say it outside of us because I don't know if anyone – I mean, yeah, like other teams may have a tougher schedule, but I don't know if anyone else got a tougher three-game stretch. I, I honestly, like looking at these schedules, and I, and I, mean, I know I, I will say i got to probably look at this a little bit closer, but what I've looked at so far, just kind of looking through here real quick, I think we might have the toughest schedule in the conference. I know that sounds – I guess you can look at Arkansas. I mean, who's Arkansas? So Arkansas is playing Georgia, Florida, and then everybody from the West. So maybe Arkansas has got it tougher than us, okay? Uh, I, I'll, I'll grant them that. But outside of Arkansas, I think you make an argument that we got maybe the next toughest draw, not because we're playing all the toughest teams in the because we're not playing AM, we're not playing LSU, we know that, but just the way it worked out again with, with Auburn at home, Tennessee at home, at Bama, at Kentucky in a, in a potential trap game, by a week, and then Florida and Jacksonville. That is a tough five-game stretch. I mean, I would say five-game stretch right there, man. That's a tough five-game stretch. Those are all top conference opponents. That uh, they could, that could, I mean, we could trip up any of those given weeks. Now, I don't think we should lose to Tennessee at home, and we shouldn't lose at Kentucky. But those are still teams that you know, again, if we play really poorly and they play really well, like crazy things can happen. So, yeah, I don't we've know, man. Seen crazy things happen. Yeah, there's no doubt. We we definitely we've definitely seen that in the world of college football. It's one of the things that makes college football what the greatest thing ever invented in the history of this world. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. But uh, all right, guys, that's our take on the schedule here. Obviously, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, but that's just kind of our quick instant reaction about half an hour or so after getting the schedules. We want to just give you our thoughts on that real quickly. Of course, we have a mailbag coming up next week, so if you have any more questions that we did not answer, any thoughts that you want to share with us, hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA or email us at glorygapodcast at gmail.com, and we will include those questions in next week's mailbag. But before we get out of here, we cannot close this show out today without bringing up former Georgia Bulldog Cade Mays and the NCAA's rejection of his request for immediate eligibility now he's transferred to Tennessee. The Volunteers are appealing decision, of course, but as of now, he has been denied. So, Kurt, fair or foul on the part of the NCAA? I think it's very fair. I don't think the NCAA is as stupid as people think. I think they know Tennessee was doing some dirty tricks behind the scenes. And at the same time, compared to a lot of these other transfers, yes, JT Daniels got approved and people like that have gotten approved. But the one thing that really stands out is all those guys are coming off season-ending injuries, not where they were starting um, or in Kate's instance, you know, starting some games, sitting some games. Either way, he got plenty of PT. And then all of a sudden, once not only does he transfer, but he transfers – Within the conference, within the division, within the division, yeah, two two things that I think is what was you know why he got denied. Um, you know, Tennessee thought they had a strong case because I think that that um, lawsuit was planted. Um, they knew it was calculated. They knew what the heck they were doing. Um, but either way, I think it's justice served. And I don't know that's what he was talking about, but I think Nolan hit it on the head when he said the grass isn't always greener on the side. I hope that's what he was talking about. Nolan Smith put that on um, there on social media? He put that on social media. Yeah, the grass isn't always that. greener on the other side. Um, like I said, I don't know that that's what he's talking about, but I sure as heck hope it was. Um, and I, like I said, I think justice was served because he did not deserve to be done. And, and another thing that really stands out to me is not only did he play a lot last year, which um, I think was a reason his got denied, but also the fact he plays the wrong position. You know, you and I talked about how – um, NCAA seems more willing to give kids um, waivers if they're at like a position like a quarterback or something. And an offensive lineman is not that sexy of a position. True. It's true. They're, they're not as high profile a player, so they can kind of get away with some of these things sometimes when the guy is not a quarterback who has all these people that know his my name. You know, the offensive line are kind of like anonymous sometimes, it seems like, unless you played Alabama typically. So yeah, like you Justin Fields, Tate Martell, all them had name recognition. K Mays only has it because he's, he's he plays a little dirty, and people are just pissed with the way he, he did it. You know, it seems like the um, you lost a pinky for nothing. So you said that Tennessee was doing some tricky things behind the scenes. So what 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 did you mean by that? Like why why do you see what they were doing as kind of under? I hundred percent believe while they were they when they were recruiting his brother. Cooper, that that was not the only Mays family member they were recruiting at the time. I think that's a, there's a strong likelihood that was the case, and maybe they weren't directly talking to him while he was like. But hey, when if you're doing an in-home visit and Kay just happens to be home, huh? I wonder how that works, right? I'm not saying that 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 exact scenario happened, but there are ways to get around the restrictions, you know, with ta- the tampering restrictions in the league. We're not supposed to be contacting other players that are that are on the roster of, a, of an opposing team, right? 
Well, if you're recruiting his brother, there um, are some ways to potentially get around that. So I, I could certainly see that. And I do not think that Jeremy Pruitt is above that. Let me just say that. I think Jeremy Pruitt's a good recruiter, but I don't think Jeremy Pruitt is above that. I will absolutely say that. Do you think that Tennessee leaked the lawsuit information late last year? I think it was because, I mean, the reporters and everyone had to search for it. So if it was that easy to find or it wasn't, I mean, it's not like it was front page news or something. Who else is really going to do it except for the family that thinks it's going to help their uh, case? Yeah, I mean, people, if they were looking hard enough, they could have found the information. But they had no reason to go pull it up. Right. and so Especially the people that leaked the story. It wasn't being leapt or it wasn't being leaked from the Georgia side of things. That's the the real tricky thing. Yeah. So I do think there's probably some underhanded methods that were used to try to get him his and I think eligibility. It's you, know, you got you got Pruitt who's all butthurt over it. Um but I think he's a piece of trash and he's getting what he deserves. Cade Mays? Well both of them really, let's be honest. Oh him and words, man. Strong words. I yeah, mean I, I honestly do not like the way this was all handled. That's my issue with it. Yes, is the way that at least the first like what I see right now. Look, I don't know the inside stories, but what I have heard and kind of just looking my own two eyes and not being not not allowing the world to kind of be pulled over my eyes here. I do think there's some underhand things that were done in trying to get him this eligibility. However, I would also say I am pretty big on athletes' rights, and I do I am all in favor of athletes being able to transfer one time penalty free every athlete in college athletics, but the fact. The fact is, that's not the way it is right now. And I know there's there seems to be like no method to the madness with the NCAA. But right now, that that rule has not been passed. So like you still have to kind of go by the guidelines. And with the guidelines, as the NCAA has them established right now, until they pass that one time penalty free transfer rule, like really, what was his case? Like, what was the actual argument that he could use to justify getting immediate eligibility? Because you're right, he was a starter. I was confused about yeah, like the guy started, he couldn't say it was over PT, couldn't say his family couldn't afford to come. Because we all know that's a lie. Yeah. I think the only thing they could potentially argue that I think may have held any water was that Sam Pittman, who was the, who was the offensive line coach that recruited him, left and took a job at another school, right? So he's no longer my offensive line coach. That's the only thing I think that they could really have stood on. But as we've that seen, that that's over. not enough to win lately. Yeah, I don't – yeah, if it's an assistant coach, position coach, I don't think that's enough. Sometimes head coaches, that can be – uh, but typically offensive line coaches, position coaches, that doesn't always seem to be and enough. And I'll be honest, a lot of the time kids transfer, um, the opposing schools kind of just give in and allow it. You know, I'm not so positive Georgia didn't play hardball with them in return and kind of do whatever it took for them to try to block it. A lot of times I do that. I do know that comes to play like the, the NCAA. I think it's, actually, I think it's somewhere in their guidelines. I'd have to pull that back up. But it used to be in the guidelines. I don't know if it's still in there now, but it used to be like if the other team – the team that you're transferring from, if they don't uh, put up a fight, basically, if they don't argue against the immediate eligibility waiver, then it's much more likely that you'll be granted that eligibility. But if that team puts up an argument and makes a case against you and opposes your immediate eligibility, then that certainly complicates things. I think and it I, hurts. I think, I think it about that. Case. Yeah, I think, I think sometimes if they don't oppose it, then it's not saying you'll get approved, but I think it definitely – it's in your favor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is not a case where they're like JT Daniels where – I know a lot of Tennessee fans are going to want to point to that, but JT Daniels got Well, injured. Tennessee fans are also dumb enough to say Georgia got a, got two transfers approved. Uh, grad <laughs> transfers are completely different, but I'm not sure if they can understand that. 
grad transfers, there's no restrictions, period. (laughs) No, of course they don't understand that. They go to Tennessee or they don't go to Tennessee. They just are fans of Tennessee. They live on a mountain somewhere. Uh, But yeah, so like I, I, I'm, I'm okay with it, I guess, in this particular scenario. Again, I, I, I kind of cringe saying that because I really do believe that all college athletes should have a chance to transfer once penalty-free, but that's just not the way it is right now. I'll say this. If Luke Ford did not get his immediate eligibility, then no way Cade Mace is ever to get his, right? Exactly. That's the whole point. Um, Luke Ford had a lot better argument. His grandfather was dying. Brother, yeah, and his grandfather did end up dying before God, just, he got yeah, to play. Tragic. Oh, but I'm sorry, Luke. Your grandfather's like 50 miles or 100 miles outside of the of the 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 guidelines and the limit that we have from campus. So therefore, you can't get your media eligibility. It's like, really, really? So yeah, I I, I would have had a major issue, honestly, because if Mays got his eligibility just based off of what happened with Lou Ford. And Lou Ford did everything the right way. Nothing underhanded. Had had our coach's blessing. Was going to home to be near a sick family members so they could see him play. And yeah, that's. That's unfortunate, but um, hopefully they'll get this waiver, this penalty-free waiver pass in the future, but that's just not the case right now. And, and what kind of how Cade Mays handled it and just with the lack of, of, a, of an argument really outside of Sam Pittman going to Arkansas, I'm kind of okay with him not getting his immediate eligibility right now. I'm not going to be like – I'm not like gleeful over it like I think some people are. I mean, I'm a little but, gleeful just because it's Tennessee. I mean, maybe it sucks for yeah. the kid, but realistically when you're – one year from graduating or one year from being able to go pro, did you really have a reason to want to go? It's not like you were leaving for P like kids that leave for PT and things like that. I, you know, or like a true family thing. I understand. But when you want to just try to sue over a pinky to try to get a scholarship, I think that I find enjoyable. Well, I don't think that was the real thing. I think they just used that as an excuse. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think that, yeah. and I, that's why I find enjoyment with it all. Yeah, fair. I, I'm not going to begrudge you for that. Fair, fair. I just, yeah, I, I think guys should be able to transfer, but they can't right now. So that sucks, Cade. Deal with it. Do you think he's going to actually ever play at Tennessee? Could because he could potentially go pro this year if he wanted to. Um, I think he'll play because the kid wasn't good enough to start consistently on our team, and as you saw, some of these other guys were better than him. And the scouts sure as hell are going to see that. Yeah, I think he. Like I'm, he might get drafted if he left it this I year. Shoot, but I don't even think he'd get drafted. You don't think he would get drafted? I think he might get drafted in the late rounds if he had a good I workout. I've seen a lot, more, lot better linemen not get drafted. True, true, true. But so I think, but yeah, he's played this season four too. Yeah, true. I think he'll come back. Yeah, I think he'll come back for one year and try to improve his draft stock and then see what happens from there. And probably he wants to play with one year with his brother. I'm sure that's part of the deal as well. I mean, that's probably really what was behind the transfer anyway. So, yeah, he'll probably, he'll probably come back, play one year with them. Who knows? Maybe he's not good enough to go after his fourth year. Maybe I'll have to come back for a fifth year. We'll see. But uh, it's not our problem anymore. Not our problem. But, all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA Podcast. We appreciate you guys taking time to listen to the show here today. Go ahead and start sending us in questions for the mailbag next week. Again, our Twitter account's at Glory underscore UGA. You can email us, gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. We will be back later in the week talking some fall camp, talking about the position battles, a show that we've been waiting to do for a while now. Now that fall camp is officially underway, we'll be breaking down all the major position battles on offense and defense. So check back later in the week. We'll have that for you. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.